0: Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. We have a a wonderful day ahead of us. Our children are going to be a part here this morning helping us. And uh, but before we get started, uh, let me take just a moment and welcome you. If you're here visiting with us, we hope that you have a in reach a blue card that's there for guests that are here. And if you want to fill that out, we'll have a record of your visit so that we'll be able to contact you and update you on all of our ministries or how it is that we could better minister to you and your family. Uh, We are glad that you chose to be here. We do have several ministries. Of course, this week and this month, let me remind you, is a little bit different than normal uh, because of spring break and Easter and all that's happening. Uh, Let me just remind you of a few events. You have everything in your bulletin uh, that we try to publish, but there are a few things I want to just highlight. One is that the men's breakfast is this Saturday. I know it feels weird because we're at the first of the month, but it started yesterday uh, as the first day. Uh, here in the end of the months and so this coming saturday minute 730 If your family is here I know many of you are traveling in spring break and out of town, but if you're here We'd love for you to come and be a part of our men's breakfast saturday At 730 so please note that also because of Everybody gone and the families and all the kids that are out. We do have some that are still here, but there's no kids grace kids tonight for the kids programs because many of the families that teach and help lead are the ones with the kids who will be out. So please know tonight there is no uh, kids program. And then finally, let me announce as well that uh, on the 23rd of this month, we will have our congregational meeting. We said we would announce that to you. That will be a called meeting for no other reason than to be able to meet in time for our presbytery for Nick, as we had mentioned before, in the Presbyterian church when someone resigns their call and since nick is hired by our church as he came as an associate the church also has to be able to vote to dissolve that call so that he is free to follow and pursue what it is god has for him so on the 23rd of april we will have a immediate meeting right after service it'll only be one question and that is the question that is put in the bco that is does the church vote to dissolve the call Because you are the ones that hired him So it'll be quick, but please note that Anybody here, and then we'll continue to go But the last thing is We don't have any Sunday school now Today is the last day for Sunday school So uh, for the month We have so many things going on this month And so many fellowships We want to recognize one on the 16th, the FIPS, They're going to be leaving And so we want to recognize them Not in a sense of putting them on the spot But if you haven't had a chance to To say goodbye to them, we'll do that. And then also on the 30th, we also have the fellowship meal that's normally planned uh, for our fifth Sunday, but it'll also be Nick's last Sunday here, as in for official duties. And so we'll have an acknowledgement for him as well uh, as we're going forward. So a lot going on this month. So just know today, after Sunday school, we'll no longer have Sunday school just for April. We're giving you a spring break, teachers, and we hope you'll come back refreshed and ready to go. So lot's happening, but uh, let me begin this morning by just reading the call to worship. You can stay there because our kids will come to lead us, and let me just read it to you this morning. I will sing of the graciousness of the Lord forever. To all generations, I will make your faithfulness known with my mouth. The heavens will praise your wonders. That's our goal this morning as our children lead us in their lift high the name of Jesus. What a blessing. I know you all want to be a part of that choir as well, don't you? And let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then if you would join me in the Lord's prayer before we continue singing. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for all your blessings. Lord, that you would watch over each and every one of us, not just while we're here, but that we have a God who faithfully watches over us every step of every day. Lord, that we have an opportunity to know that regardless of what event takes place, regardless of what circumstance we may face, we never face it alone. We never face it on our own strength. Lord, we face it with the Holy Spirit, His help, and His guidance every step of the way. Lord, this morning we pray for the steps of those who are hurting. We pray that you'll give them guidance as they continue their uh, treatments uh, for their sicknesses, uh, that you'll be with them through their surgeries, their doctor visits. Lord, for the recoveries lord for the time that it takes to go through recovery and rehab that lord you'll help them through that and the timing of events and the strength that's needed each day lord we do pray uh, lord for the families of covenant our sister church in nashville Uh, lord it's always brought closer to home uh, lord when we realize that we're all susceptible to evil we're all in the path of sin and yet lord it's just a matter of time and yet, Lord, we do realize that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And yet, Lord, though the things that can happen around us can never truly touch us as your children. That regardless, we must trust in your providential care again, in your plan, in your purpose, and help us prepare. Lord, this morning, just open our hearts and minds. Give us just an opportunity to set aside all the things that we're focusing on for ourselves, and the things that we would like to accomplish for ourselves. And let us just focus on you. Let us focus on what it is you have done to us in the process of conversion. Lord, we know again that we haven't done anything to earn the right. Our works do not deserve anything to be brought into your presence. And we have no sacrifice outside your son, Jesus Christ. But with him and through him, we're able to come boldly to the throne of grace, praying as you taught us, saying,
1: If you would turn over to the next page for our prayer, actually our confession of faith first. So let me read the question and let, let's all respond together. Question 86, what is the communion and glory with Christ that members of the invisible church enjoy immediately after death? The communion and glory with Christ that members of the invisible church enjoy immediately after death involves their souls being made completely holy and being received into the highest heavens. There they behold the face of God in light and glory as they wait for the full redemption of their bodies, which even in death continue united to Christ and rest in the grave as in a bed, until at the last day the body and soul are reunited. On the other hand, when the wicked die, their souls are thrown into hell. There they remain tormented in complete darkness, while their bodies are kept in the graves as in a prison until the resurrection and judgment of that great day. Because we know this judgment is coming for those who do not believe, we who have fled to Christ come to him again and again, because we know that in this life we continue to wrestle with sin. So let's pray this prayer confession out loud together. Father, forgive our sinfulness this day. We are wicked and worthless without your grace. We confess our use of crooked speech and our heart's desire to devise evil. We continually sow discord even in the brethren that leads to calamity. Forgive us, Father, for doing the things you hate. We confess we have haughty eyes and a lying tongue. We shed innocent blood and devise wicked plans. We run quickly to evil and bear false witness. Forgive us, Father, for not keeping your commandments and following your teachings in scripture. Change our hearts, we plead, in Jesus' name, amen. And we have this simple but beautiful and wonderful promise from 1 Timothy 1. From the lips of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Brothers and sisters, if you wonder this week if God could forgive you again, Jesus forgave the worst of sinners. Paul considered himself that way and he says that we can consider ourselves that as well. But as bad as we are, as much sin as we've committed and all that we've left undone, Jesus came to save the worst of the worst and he came to save you and me so trust in him believe that his grace is greater and deeper and stronger than anything we could ever do or or not do so trust in him and be at rest in him as we continue in worship this is the moment now when we get to worship through giving I'm going to ask those who will be receiving the morning's offering to go ahead and come forward as I pray so let's go to God again Father, thank you that we are here, that we do have a sacrifice to bring, that it, that it is the Lord Jesus on our behalf, as we've already heard about this morning. Lord, as we give to you, we give in faith, we give in cheerfulness, we know and believe that we could never outgive you. But as your children, we imitate you giving. You have been so good to us, we get to be good to others. So Lord, bless these gifts, bless this time of worship. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: amen you may be seated and thank you again to not only our children but our music team as they continually lead us in worship through song each and every week and if you're interested in being a part of that please let us know we like having others to come up and be a part um and so we encourage you to use your gifts and to come up and be a part as we lead God's body in worship Um, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Luke. Uh, That's where we'll be this morning in Luke chapter 13. You can always put your finger on Psalm 51. That is where we will turn later on in the service to be a part of what David did as he cried out for forgiveness and repentance. Many of you are familiar with that passage, but we will turn back to that later on. We have been studying the doctrines, if you wish to call them that, of salvation what it really means to be saved. And there's so much to salvation that as we looked at some of its elements, we continue each week going a little bit deeper and deeper. We go clear back to the sovereignty of God and election, if you wish, and start to try to put together what happens in the mind of God, which we all know it's hard to understand. And we slowly move forward into what it is on the application of redemption, we call it, in which we are a part and understand and today I want to speak to you about conversion as we've titled it I just need a change have you ever got to a point in your life when you say to yourself man if things could just change I mean I'm just ready I'm ready for something to be different I'm ready for things to change I'm, I'm, I've worked too long I've done this for too long things just don't seem right I'm ready for a change then you're ready for conversion conversion and I'm not trying to say that if you want change, you're not saved. I'm just saying that's the biblical understanding of two concepts, or actually three that come together. When we talk about someone being converted, it's because we're coming to an understanding of what's taking place in the reality of time today. For example, we've already spoken about in eternity past how it is that God has chosen people before the foundations of the world We could argue that until we're blue in the face at times, and we can never go back into the wisdom and sovereignty of God to understand how he does that. We've also moved beyond what we'd say in the Holy Spirit in time when he calls us, we call that the effectual call, when the Holy Spirit actually convicts us through the message of Christ to bring us to Christ. And yet now we come to the point of conversion. Now, now is the point in time in which I ask you, not has God elected you, Has God ever convicted you? What I'm asking you this morning is, have you responded to the conviction of the Holy Spirit? There is no salvation without it. Election comes to reality in conversion. And conversion is made up of several things. Biblical conversion we'll look at today involves many elements, and I'll give you some of these words. But if you're thinking about the biblical terms, we're thinking about repentance we're thinking about faith, and we're thinking about belief. Those are all the terms that come together in understanding biblical conversion. When someone says, I have been converted, you're talking about repentance. You're talking about faith, and you're talking about belief. We'll get to those as we share, but let me begin by just simply reading from Luke chapter 13. Luke was a physician. If you're studying Greek and you're wanting to learn Greek, you don't read the book of Luke because Luke uses some of the hardest terminology in all of the New Testament. Luke is one of those books that uses words that are found nowhere else in the New Testament. It's almost like trying to read those doctor's handwritings as you're going through scribbling, Luke understood that. It's why he speaks about the virgin birth. It's why he brings up those elements of life and physicalness and what it means to have sins that are forgiven from deep within, because as a doctor, he understood the need of what happens to us. Here's what he writes in Luke chapter 13. He says, Now, on that very occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans. "'whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. "'And Jesus responded and said to them, "'Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners "'than all the other Galileans "'just because they have suffered this fate? "'No, I tell you, but unless you repent, "'you will all likewise perish.'" Or do you think that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell that killed them were worse offenders than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, there are multiple passages we could use, but this morning I choose this because I want you to see that when it comes to repentance, it has nothing to do with the condition in which you were raised. Whether you were raised in a biblical home, I'm going to give you some examples, and salvation to you or conversion becomes a normal process over time in which you acknowledge the truth that you're taught. Or whether you grew up in a Galilean home or a foreign home or a Gentile home and you had no concept whatsoever of the gospel and your conversion experience is more like the Apostle Paul, dramatic and overwhelming. It does not matter. I ask you this, do you not realize that all of you whether one who's grown up around the gospel or never heard the gospel, you will all likewise perish if you do not what? Repent when we speak about conversion, let's start on a biblical journey. First of all, let's understand the biblical understanding of conversion, which means turning back to or turning towards. It's the understanding of some terms I'll give you that means we're turning from, in biblical terms, self, Satan, and sin towards God. Many times you've heard the analogy, it's an about face. People have used those terms for conversion. But we're getting this from the Hebrew word, if you wish, or the Greek, let's focus on that here in Luke, that becomes epistrepho. It's the work that the word that is used that means a complete change of direction. So we have to be careful when we understand that, because when we're talking about turning from sin to God, we're talking about someone who is theologically turning away from what Satan has done in their life and who they have been committed to, to someone who now needs to control their life totally different. So let me give it to you this way. I don't like the about-face analogy. I know we can always drive things to a peculiar point. But here's what I want you to understand. If you are lukewarm, now watch me. I don't want to act up here on stage. I'm not in drama class. But if you are lukewarm, you're traveling like this with God. You're not hot and you're not what? Cold. You're just kind of in the lukewarm Christian going to church, doing your Bible study, doing the things that are necessary. And you're walking along with God and you realize you need to repent. So when a lukewarm person repents, they just what? They just start strutting the other direction. And we're still lukewarm. We haven't grown a bit closer to Christ. See, what we're talking about when it comes to conversion is the person who is not walking in lukewarmness, but the person who is cold as ice. The one who is drowned in the depths of the sea. The one who is going away from God as fast as they could run to the depths of hell or to Sheol, the place of the grave. And when they repent and change directions, they are no longer headed down. They are now headed what? Completely up. It's why we get the understanding when Jesus says to us, I would rather have those that are hot nor cold, but to be lukewarm, I would rather what? Spit them out. Because God does not say if you're lukewarm and you change to be lukewarm another direction that it even matters. Please do not understand conversion is being you can be lukewarm and find salvation with the father unless you repent you will likewise what perish Luke begins to give us the terminologies, not just in Luke, but throughout Scripture. Let me give you a summary of them. When we're turning from God or from something to God, it's the analogy that is constantly used about understanding with our mind that something is important. You've used this word before. It's not just the word for Hebrew of one word. We get another Hebrew word, the, the nehim, if you wish, or the naham. Some have said it that way. It's the word that's translated into Greek as metanoia. You've heard me say that many a times. The word for repentance in Greek is metanoia. It's the word that means meta with noia, the mind. Do you see repentance or conversion actually deals with the mind of complete loyalty? It's what your mind actually believes that you do. Folks, none of you would believe something false and then continue to act on it. If you really thought a house was on fire, would you run inside it? No, it doesn't make any sense. Now, if you weren't sure about the house, who knows? You might go check it out. Or if you don't think it's a bad fire, maybe you could go in there and observe things. But your mind doesn't do things that it knows are completely opposite. That would be done in ignorance. Metanoia means that we understand a true loyalty and understanding of the truths of God changes us. It's with our mind that we realize we need a change of directions. It's with our mind that we come to grasp that we need a loyalty that belongs to somebody else other than Satan Ourself or sin. See, that's why it understands these concepts of repentance and faith, this understanding of how it is that we move forward and belief, how it is that we come to acknowledge these things. Literally, if you wish, metanoia, this change of mind goes along with the conversion because it's a complete turnaround. It's not just a change of directions. It's understanding that you are going the wrong direction. Most of you don't flip U-turns in the middle of number two, which I saw all morning long with the power lines down, unless you realize that where you're headed is totally wrong. You see, because it was just the problem of the direction you were headed, you may take a detour. You may take an added stop. You may take a different direction. But when you understand the direction you're going is leading you somewhere you do not want to be, You take an immediate, complete turnaround. It's the understanding of conversion, of metanoia and epistrepho. It's the understanding of our loyalties with this changing of directions. Let me ask you real quick this morning, just where do your loyalties lie? Just who right now is the most important person in your life? Just what task is it you're more committed to than serving Christ faithfully? I would bet if you're like your pastor, I would have to humbly admit that if you're like me, your week is more consumed with things about yourself than things with the Lord. You're more consumed with how it is even you may serve the Lord or you may lead to the Lord or that you may participate in, but it's still always about who? You. To understand conversion is to say that I'm ready to repent. Something's happened in my life. I just need a change. This has been enough. And so ultimately, our loyalty is described by Moses in Deuteronomy several times. You could go to chapter 30 or back to 6, back to the Shema or the law, the things that we have. When he simply said this, if you understand what Moses taught us, he simply said this, return to the Lord and love him with what? Heart. Heart. Come on, it wasn't just your heart. You better help me out. This isn't repentance. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, there was no partial returning to the Lord. Even in the Old Testament, when the sacrifices were insufficient, when it had to be repeated over and over, when it could never cleanse our conscience, when we could never be permanently made right, they still didn't water it down and say that you could be right only half-heartedly the prophet still proclaimed that the truth of conversion and repentance must be a complete loyalty change. Not just a church change. Not just a class change. And not just a pastor change. It has to be a complete loyalty change. Yes, he begins to tell us, Samuel wrote it in the book of Samuel. For those of you studying Samuel in the beginning chapters, when he began to write about returning to the Lord, when he put it this way, when he said, you need to be rid of all the idols in which you are now loyal to, and you need to return or turn back to God with your whole heart. I remember one time when I asked a person that was smoking, they were addicted to smoking. Please don't take that as you need repentance if you're smoking. But I asked the person when I saw them, I didn't notice they weren't smoking. I said, Oh, did you quit smoking? And they said, No, I'm on the right path, though. I don't smoke near as much. You ever been on that path? You ever asked an alcoholic? Well, I'm okay. I just don't drink as much. You ever asked someone addicted to pornography? Well, I just don't watch it as much. An abuser? I don't show my anger as much. A thief. Well, I don't steal as often a liar. I haven't told any great big lies. You see, it doesn't make sense when we begin to think about a loyalty. How is it that when we talk to someone about change, we want complete change, But when we talk about serving Christ, it's not about complete loyalty? It's just giving them a part of our life. It's given them a task of what we want. We want them to look over our lives. We want people to think that we're good. We want to test God or try God. And we want a little bit of the change. But finally, we get to a point, I just need change. Do you remember when Solomon was dedicating the temple? He gave them a prayer. It listed several things. Listen to this. You could go back to first Kings and you could read it yourself, but he simply said this in the time in which it would bring the people back together. He said this in his prayer, we need a change of heart. Several things. Listen, we need a change of heart. We need to confess our wrongdoings. He said, we need to turn from our wickedness and we need to surrender our entire being that was involved in the dedication of the temple. Even Solomon, who was caught up in all kinds of sin, as we all know, still understood true conversion, that the elements that are necessary is no watering down of the truth. It wasn't long ago we talked about easy believism when John MacArthur, as many of you know, was put on the spot about all kinds of things he had written because he attacked an understanding of not only the Holy Spirit, but what was called easy believism. Because there was a controversy that said, "You don't really have to repent to be saved. All you have to do is believe in Jesus. And if you'll just believe in Jesus, you're saved. I remind you that James wrote us and said, "What? Even the demons believe in what?" And shudder. That's not enough. To simply say you acknowledge something about Jesus or Jesus is to claim that you're a Christian? That's the problem we're having today is we have too many Christians who are living by definitions of being a Christian that are different than Scripture. Let me rephrase this to you. Not how many of you are Christians. Don't raise your hand. Don't nudge your partner next to you. Don't eyeball somebody this morning. But let me ask you this. How many of you have been converted in the sovereignty of God? The Holy Spirit has convicted you, and in response, your loyalties in life have changed. That would be the biblical definition of conversion. Or are you still hanging on to the loyalties of your life? Just a little bit longer. Just a few more years. And then I'll serve Christ faithfully. Then I'll try the mission field then I'll begin to serve in the church. I wonder what it would have been like if Jesus would have said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, not my will right now. Oh, I just wonder how that would have changed things. Because the truth of it is, that would have been no different than saying, Lord, not your will right now. How many of us in our Christian lives have said, Lord, not your will right now, but my will be done. True conversion it leads us to the point of not only the prayer, but the essential aspects. Write these down, keep them. It's the intellectual, emotional, and volitional aspects of repentance or conversion. Volitional being that which is of the will. We must have an understanding of the Holy Spirit, his conviction of God and his righteousness or holiness of our sin and guilt. Yes, you must have an intellectual understanding. You can't turn from something if you don't understand what's wrong. You would never flip that U-turn if you didn't see what was head was the wrong place to... To be you must understand that your sin and the guilt in which you harbor is leading to hell and you need to make a quick change but it's not only intellectual it's emotional we've got to abhor the sin we've got to have a godly sorrow remember as Paul writes us and others that it's the godly sorrow that leads to what repentance it's actually saying to yourself God I'm sorry I have offended you that's the godly sorrow I know my sins may affect others, and that's a horrible side effect of sin, folks, but that's all it is. It's the side effect of sin. The real horribleness of sin is that you're going against who? God. That's who you're offending. That's who you're alienated from. And that's who's going to punish you. You know, your neighbor may act like it, or even your spouse at times, or even your children or parents may at times act like they're going to play the role of judge in your life. And they're going to raise you in ways, and they're going to teach you in ways, and they're going to enable you in friendships in ways to have you feel as though if you don't meet up to their standards that they're going to have control over what happens at the end. Well, folks, I have a surprise for you. The sin that you've committed against others, they will never judge you. They will never have the right to take Christ's place. And they have never deserved or earned the ability to be the one who declares who's right and wrong. The sins that you've committed against others are only side effects. But godly sorrow leads to repentance. Because I have offended my holy father. It's not only intellectual and emotional, it's volitional. It's got to have the determination to change. You got to want to. You don't have people going to heaven because they don't want to. You got to have a heart that says, This is what I want. And when you have that, you realize, I've been converted. It's not like regeneration or justification. Those are what we used a term several weeks back called monergistic. Those are the complete works of God. You can't declare yourself in any way right. You can't in any way regenerate your life. Those are the works of God. But when it comes to conversion, be careful. It's more of a synergistic understanding because God does the work. God gives you the grace. God increases the faith. But you must still respond in god's help you must still want to serve to the god faithfully that's that change of heart see that brings us to the other aspect of it's not just if you wish uh, the greek terms of what it means to repent or to turn or to have an understanding of knowledge or to trust it comes to this word of understanding pistuo do you remember that Epistrepho is one thing, metanao is another, but now we get to pistuo. All of you scholars who understand it, that's the word that the verb form of the word for belief or, or faith. It's the word to believe. It's something that you actually trust in. If you believe in something, you trust in it. The noun form pistis is the one I've shared with you many a times before. It's this understanding that true conversion doesn't just mean to turn around and it doesn't just mean to have a complete change of loyalty. It also has this understanding of trust. Complete trust. Folks, if you believe in the brakes of your car, how do I know? I know some of you don't. Folks, if you truly believed in the brakes of your car, what would you do? You would press the pedal. I've yet to be in a car with someone at 55 when someone pulls out and they go, ah, you know, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. You know, I'm not sure. Car's coming close. You know, this could be a good time. I'm not sure. Should we hit them? Should we not? Maybe our feet. Put your feet out. You know, Flintstone. That doesn't happen. The true trust that you have in all the mechanisms that people put together in your car. If I truly said to you, and pardon me, I'm not a mechanic. But if I said what you truly trust in is the fact that the pressure that is implied on the rubber pad upon the metal brake that's there connected to the connections and the little pins that hold together the rods that signal that the little compression pressure points, we call those little solenoids, begin to press out, and it lets the brake fluid flow from the master cylinder. Help me, Bill Bavard, if I'm close, right? And then all of a sudden the master cylinder begins to press the fluid out, and it equally goes to the brake drums or the discs, and the drums either press out or the discs begin to press in and the friction is what actually applies to your folks the truth of it is you don't stop because of brakes you stop because of friction did you realize that so just put your foot out next time (laughs) no when we understand pastuo every time you come to god you simply say well we could pray well it depends. I don't know if I should pray about this. Is this something God would care about? Is, does God really watch over me every day? I mean, guys, we, we could bring this to prayer, but maybe this is something we could do ourselves. I mean, is this something God wants in our life? Is, is that what you mean by trust and loyalty? Or do you fall on your face and put him first? Because in any time an event takes place, you slam on the Holy Spirit. And he brings us into the mercy and presence of God where he mediates for us. And pleads before the Father and makes things right. Every single time. Have you been converted? Do you understand exactly what Pastua was asking of us? Jeremiah said it in chapter 13. When he said you can't do it on your own. Jeremiah simply said repentance and understanding conversion could be in the same analogy. As the Ethiopian who wants to change his skin color. Or the leopard his spots oh if you want conversion yes you still need God you need a saving faith you need these correct beliefs and understanding we get that it's a complete surrender to Jesus Christ evidenced by our love and obedience to him otherwise we begin to realize again that it's just a head knowledge there are many who say they have faith the word legato there the word for claiming or speaking is because many people say they have faith folks But what good is a say-so faith if it's not true? How many of you say your loyalty is with the Father? But that's not true. Let me give you a couple examples real quick and I'll let you go. But repentance to turn from faith, to be able to turn around and to trust on this reliance upon God... You put the words together over and over. We realize it has to happen in God's grace. You know it in Ephesians 2 when Paul simply writes us and he says it is by grace through faith. It is by grace through faith in which we are saved. He says that because it cannot be of any man's works or that any man could boast because the whole process comes under God's control. A complete loyalty to a God who will never let you down. Here's how it happens. Let me give you examples for you this morning. I'll do them quickly. Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. You don't have to go there. Write it down. I'll let you research it. But if you look at, again, Luke's understanding of what it means to be converted, he gives us the story. I'll highlight it for you as the son leaves and goes away and the lost son is out and about. Listen to his understanding of conversion in Luke. Verse 17, he has an awareness of his lost condition. From there in verse 18 and 21, he confesses his personal sin. He acknowledges his own unworthiness and he determines it's best to return to the father. Conversion. The story of one who was with the father left and now realizes they need to convert and come back. Maybe that's you. I'm not talking about losing your salvation and getting it. I'm talking about understanding conversion, that all life long we find ourselves repenting. We find ourselves trusting. We find ourselves believing that God knows best. And we come back to the Father. Or maybe you had no understanding and so you could go to Acts chapter 9 when actually Saul becomes Paul. You can read the story in Acts chapter 9 in which he was cast to the ground by the light of God's glory. He was stricken with an understanding in his life that he couldn't put together. He was there on the ground as he laid that he realized he was stripped of his own self-sufficiency, made aware of sin and his alienation and persecution of the Father, and that he was overcome by God's power and grace, which led him to Ananias Mm -hmm. to eventually be baptized, called to preach the gospel and save the Gentile world. You see, it's either the slow, gradual process, or it's this amazing event that takes place in life, and neither one is right or wrong. They're both true conversions of understanding how it happens. But if you grew up in a home around the gospel, it's usually a slow process of understanding. But if you've never been around the gospel, it's like the glory of God just swipes you off your feet. But in both cases, I ask you to turn to Psalm 51 where if you'll allow me to exposit for just a few moments of what happens when David, after his sin with Bathsheba, cries out to the Lord. In just a few moments, to understand the true process of being right with the Father, Scripture gives us repentance and faith, summarized as conversion, the aspects of being right with God. He simply begins to read, listen to this, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithfulness, according to the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my wrongdoings and wash me thoroughly from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. Highlight this, write this down. The part of conversion is you must have an awareness of sin. When you talk to people about trusting Christ, folks, you have to talk to them about their sin. There's no good side to being lost. Do you have an awareness of your sin? Look at the next verses. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and you are blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in guilt and in sin my mother did conceive me. Heartfelt confession. You could go all the way down to verse 17 and realize that he says it's the sacrifices of God that are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Number one, you've got to have an awareness of sin. You've got to have a heartfelt confession of those sins. And then he goes on, look at verse 7 to 9, when he says this, "'Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Cleanse me, and I will be whiter than snow.'" Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let my bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe all out all my guilty deeds. Isn't that amazing? A prayer for the pardon of sin. I acknowledge my sin. I'm sorrow for my sin. I confess. Those sins, Father. Verse 10 simply says, Create in me a clean heart, God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. Yes, you must have a sought-after attitude for inner renewal. I just need a change. Lord, I can't do this anymore myself. I'm tired of pleasing other people. I'm tired of living for their acceptance. I'm tired of guessing where I stand. I just need a change. I acknowledge my sin. I am heartfelt, sorrowful for all I have done. Cleanse me, make me right, and renew me. And finally, in verse 12, he reminds us, Restore unto me the joy. The joy of your salvation, God. Remind me that I am a king of kings, a child of a king. My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Then my reward awaits me. What does it mean to be converted? In conclusion, the Christian life is an ongoing repentance. Ongoing exercising of faith and a continual conversion. Constantly returning to our father. To make us more and more like Jesus. Catch this. Conversion is the beginning of sanctification. Sanctification. Being made all that God wants us to be. Oh, I could give you all the answers for it, I guess, but let me just simply say it this way. What is conversion? It's understanding the ABCs. It's admitting. It's believing. And it's confessing. Or if you were to do it in the Greek, it's just the letter O. Epistrepho metanao, and pastuo. But oh, what a difference conversion makes when you belong to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for changing us. We need a change, a change of direction, a change of loyalty, an understanding and a sorrow for all that we've done And we know we cannot do it on our own. We understand that without your grace. We could never make the change. As the disciples pleaded to increase their faith. Lord we ask you to increase our faith. Our trust. Our total loyalty to you. That we might truly experience the sanctification before us that we might truly reflect being your children. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, you will notice in our bulletin that there, in your hymn book. If you will turn with me to hymn number 253, you can remain seated. But we're going to sing the first stanza. And while we sing that, I'm going to ask the officers to come forward and help me. And then we will sing two stanzas as we pass out the bread. We'll sing the other two stanzas as we pass out the drink. And after prayer, we'll sing together all the way my Savior leads me. So let's just, while we're seated, while we prepare our hearts, let's sing together the first verse of 253, there is a fountain filled with blood. Officers, if you'll come. Before we begin to pass it out, I must fence the table. If you're here visiting with us, if you're a Christian, you've made a profession of faith, you accept Jesus Christ, the ABCs, you admit you're a sinner, believe that salvation is only in Jesus Christ, and you confess Him with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you're saved. You're welcome to take the Lord's Supper with us. But if you're not this morning, I ask you to let it pass. For we'll be reading together some scriptures that make it clear the Lord's Supper is not something that saves us, it's something for those who are already saved. For those of us who have rested in him, placed our faith in him, and we're here to nourish our faith and to simply say, Lord, increase our faith so that we can faithfully follow him. But while we pass it out, I'll ask the gentlemen to take the trays and as they begin to pass it out, if we will continue to sing the next couple stanzas together as they're passing it out. Verse two and three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. three together. let me while they're finishing up I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians 11 for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed he took the bread and when he had given things he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he took the cup after the supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way shall be guilty of the body and the blood of our Lord. He simply said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way that he took the bread, as we just read, he also took the drink. And so as we begin to pass out the drink, we ask that you take a cup and then pass the tray. Please do not drink until we can all take together. And as they pass these drinks out, if you would please sing stanzas four. And five with me together on There Is a Fountain. Let's sing together four and five.
2: To sin no more, be saved. To sin no more, till all the ransom church of God be saved. To sin no more.
0: Let me read to you from Hebrews nine. But when Christ appeared as the high priest for the good things having come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ cleanse us and our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? As we read in the same way that he broke the bread, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Heavenly Father, again, we ask you to increase our faith. Help us to see the direction Help us to understand our beliefs and help us to realize our trust so that we could put them all in you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance toward you and give you peace. And all God's children said, Amen. amen. Have a great Lord's day.